Unarmed and Dismembered. Chapter 1. Your Body and Blood. No one ever talks about the moment you found that you were white, or the moment you found out you were black. That's a profound revelation. The minute you find that out, something happens. You have to renegotiate everything. Toni Morrison History is not the past. It is the present. We carry our history with us. We are our history. James Baldwin There is deep wisdom within our very flesh if we can only come to our senses and feel it. Elizabeth A. Benke People don't realize what's really going on in this country. There are a lot of things that are going on that are unjust. People aren't being held accountable. This country stands for freedom, liberty, and justice for all. And it's not happening for all right now. Colin Kaepernick When I was a boy, I used to watch television with my grandmother. I would sit in the middle of the sofa, and she would stretch out over two seats, resting her legs in my lap. She often felt pain in her hands, and she'd ask me to rub them in mine. When I did, her fingers would relax, and she'd smile. Sometimes she'd start to hum melodically, and her voice would make a vibration that reminded me of a cat's purr. She wasn't a large woman, but her hands were surprisingly stout, with broad fingers and thick pads below each thumb. One day I asked her, Grandma, why are your hands like that? They ain't the same as mine. My grandmother turned from the television and looked at me. Boy, she said slowly, that's from picking cotton. They've been that way since long before I was your age. I started working in the fields sharecropping when I was four. I didn't understand. I'd helped plant things in the garden a few times, but my own hands were bony and my fingers were narrow. I held up my hands next to hers and stared at the difference. Uh-huh, she said. The cotton plant has pointed burrs in it. When you reach your hand in, the burrs rip it up. When I first started picking, my hands were all torn and bloody. When I got older, they got thicker and thicker, until I could reach in and pull out the cotton without them bleeding. My grandmother died last year. Sometimes I can still feel her warm, thick hands in mine. For the past three decades, we've earnestly tried to address white body supremacy in America with reason, principles, and ideas. Using dialogue, forums, discussions, education, and mental training. But the widespread destruction of black bodies continues. And some of the ugliest destruction originates with our police. Why is there such a chasm between our well-intentioned attempts to heal and the ever-growing number of dark-skinned bodies who are killed or injured, sometimes by police officers? It's not that we've been lazy or insincere, but we've focused our efforts in the wrong direction. We've tried to teach our brains to think better about race. But white body supremacy doesn't live in our thinking brains. It lives and breathes in our bodies. Our bodies have a form of knowledge that is different from our cognitive brains. This knowledge is typically experienced as a felt sense of constriction or expansion, pain or ease, energy or numbness. 
Often this knowledge is stored in our bodies as wordless stories about what is safe and what is dangerous. The body is where we fear, hope, and react, where we constrict and release, and where we reflexively fight, flee, or freeze. If we are to upend the status quo of white body supremacy, we must begin with our bodies. New advances in psychobiology reveal that our deepest emotions, love, fear, anger, dread, grief, sorrow, disgust, and hope, involve the activation of our bodily structures. These structures, a complex system of nerves, connect the brainstem, pharynx, heart, lungs, stomach, gut, and spine. Neuroscientists call this system the wandering nerve, or our vagus nerve. A more apt name might be our soul nerve. The soul nerve is connected directly to a part of our brain that doesn't use cognition or reasoning as its primary tool for navigating the world. Our soul nerve also helps mediate between our body's activating energy and resting energy. This part of our brain is similar to the brains of lizards, birds, and lower mammals. Our lizard brain only understands survival and protection. At any given moment, it can issue one of a handful of survival commands. Rest, fight, flee, or freeze. These are the only commands it knows, and the only choices it is able to make. White body supremacy is always functioning in our bodies. It operates in our thinking brains, in our assumptions, expectations, and mental shortcuts. It operates in our muscles and nervous systems, where it routinely creates constriction. But it operates most powerfully in our lizard brains. Our lizard brain cannot think. It is reflexively protective, and it is strong. It loves whatever it feels will keep us safe, and it fears and hates whatever it feels will do us harm. All our sensory input has to pass through the reptilian part of our brain before it even reaches the cortex, where we think and reason. Our lizard brain scans all of this input and responds, in a fraction of a second, by either letting something enter into the cortex or rejecting it and inciting a fight, flee, or freeze response. This mechanism allows our lizard brain to override our thinking brain whenever it senses real or imagined danger. It blocks any information from reaching our thinking brain until after it has sent a message to fight, flee, or freeze. In many situations, our thinking brain is smart enough to be careful and situational 